Well, glad you're back. We're looking forward to week two of the series, God, Where Are You? I want to kick off with this story. There was a mischievous cookie thief who struck fear in the hearts and parents and grandparents alike. No cookie jar was safe, and every home lived in terror of the sneaky snack snatcher. One day, a wise pastor decided to address the issue on a Sunday morning. He began, Dear Congregation, let me share with you the mysterious case of the sneaky cookie thief. This notorious bandit has been terrorizing kitchens all over town, leaving behind a trail of crumbs and perplexed adults. Now, discipline is a bit like setting up security measures for your cookie jar. He said, imagine installing alarms, setting up traps, and maybe even hiring a cookie detective. Discipline is not about catching the thief, but creating an environment that makes the thief think twice before reaching for those cookies. Of course, we're not talking about actual cookies here. Our cookies might be bad habits, temptations, behaviors that we need to guard against. Discipline is a lot like installing a spiritual security system to help us resist the cookie thief. A well-disciplined life is a life less likely to crumble under the pressure of temptation. See, from what we learned last week, it's very clear that if Judah showed discipline specifically to the king, because we learned that as the king went, so did the nation, that God would have not needed to discipline them. Last week, we learned that God in his sovereignty provided guidance for the king and the kingdom. However, he decided to go his own direction. Poor decisions were made along the way. And God, in spite of their decisions they made, had an overall plan for his people. And so God led them toward his ultimate purpose for their good. And although Habakkuk didn't directly ask this question in his robust conversation with God, we will see it played out. You see, we see it played out today that discipline is used when we need correction and it's also used for prevention. Either we show discipline or we receive discipline. It's a both and, it's not an either or. And the reason why I need discipline or correction is because I wasn't disciplined or prevented it. The same thing goes with you. The reason why you and I need discipline or correction is because you and I were not disciplined or prevented it. Each year we do this alignment study um, that's really good for our groups because we're all unified on the same message. We're kind of digging into the same thing together. And this year we're going to be looking at a three uh, small three-chapter book called Habakkuk in our Old Testament. And Habakkuk was God's um, prophet for this time for the, the nation uh, of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. And now he had a lot of questions. And we get, we're going to see this in this conversation. He, he asked a lot of why questions to God, and God answered, and he responded to some of those questions. And Habakkuk wanted to know, God, where are you? Where are you? Have you ever felt that way where you were like, all right, God, where are you? You're looking at your life. It's not gone the way that you wanted to go on. Uh, maybe some things are happening that are very sideways, and you're thinking, God, where are you? So think about today. We're going to look at why is discipline necessary. and Discipline, when it's correction or prevention, when it's not practiced within the home and society, there's a lot of challenges that arise. Like here's one of the challenges. There's a breakdown of order and structure. Discipline provides a framework for order and structure in both the home and in society. 
And when that is not there, there's chaos. Think about lack of personal responsibility. Discipline teaches you and I to take responsibility of our decisions, of our actions, of our behavior. That is not popular in our culture. And without the, the personal responsibility, what happens? We avoid accountability and we blame shift. We blame other people. And it's normal in our culture. You look at it as sports teams. I mean, one of the most high-profile quarterbacks a few weeks ago just went off on the officials. Now, it was a questionable call, but quite honestly, his guy lined up offsides. It was because his guy wasn't disciplined that the flag was thrown. Now, to his credit, he owned up that he got too emotional. He owned up to the fact that how he treated the refs, he, he owned up to it. The truth is, guys, it's easy, man. It's easy to point fingers. Um, blame, according to Brene Brown, is simply the discharging of discomfort and pain. It has an inverse relationship with accountability. Accountability, by definition, is a vulnerable process. It means me calling you and saying, hey, my feelings were really hurt. And talking is not blaming. Blame is simply a way we discharge anger. So spiritually speaking, when God is holding us accountable to the decisions we made, our behavior, we begin to blame. And this was very common within the Old Testament. Like, as we read last week, kings did not want to take responsibility for the decisions they made. They didn't want to own it. They didn't want to face it. And, and guys, we find ourselves in the same part. Our self-inflicted discomfort and pain, we don't want to own it. We don't want to face it. And so what we do is we blame others. We blame God. We blame, well, you gave me him. You gave me her. I mean, you gave me these kids. I mean, it's their fault. How about impaired moral and ethical development? Like within, without discipline, individuals struggle to develop ethics and values and morals. There's increased conflict and tension. The discipline helps resolve conflicts within relationships. Like how many of us came in this morning? How many of us came in this morning? We were walking on eggshells at the table or going to the bathroom or coming out of the bedroom or going into the bedroom. How, how much tension did we feel because a relationship isn't right? There's a negative impact on education. I mean, this is one of the reasons why parents are pulling their kids out of the public school system. Because you have a class of 24, some are not disciplined kids. And so the attention of the teacher has to go to them, and then they get sent to the principal's office, where really there's not a lot of discipline happening anymore. It's a lot different than when we grew up. Like, I don't know about you, but I remember in second grade, Miss Meltzer pulled Craig out of his desk by his rat tail, and he went screaming down the hall. It, I mean, it just, it paused all of us. It allowed us to second guess, okay, we will not do that to her. What is discipline? What does it do? It, it produces a conducive learning environment. And without it, it's not conducive. And there's an erosion of respect for authority. 
I mean, discipline is closely linked to respect for authority figures, whether in the family or society. A lack of discipline can lead to a decline to respecting police officers and firefighters and our military and even those who are elected officials. And this was a big fault with Israel. You had, you had Israel's kings and Judah's kings. Man, they expected respect as kings, but they had no respect for the ultimate authority over them, which was God. God placed them in those positions, but they had no respect for God. They had no respect for his temple. And they, in arrogance and confidence, they just assumed, they expected that because they had this authority as king or the title king, that they would be expected, they would be respected. It didn't happen. And then you had the impact on future generations. But guys, we all, we all know this to be true. Families are fundamental to society. And when you have a lack of discipline within a family, it has generational impact. A lack of a discipline, right, within kids. When they grow to be adults, they struggle with personal responsibility, decision-making, and interpersonal skills. So we know that discipline is super important. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week with God responding to Habakkuk of why he tolerates the corruption by the king and the people. Notice what God says to him. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And this situation didn't surprise God. I mean, this is the, the third big discipline he's given his people. You have the wilderness, right? And we see this played out in Exodus and God gave them Moses. I mean, it's just, an, just, just a really good leader. And they rejected him. They rejected the leadership. They rejected uh, the law. They rejected it. And they're like, oh yeah, we'll do it. But all of a sudden, man, they go back into idolatry and he allows them to be in the wilderness for 40 years and that generation not getting into the promised land. And then you had Israel, the northern kingdom. And this is played out in First Chronicles and Second Kings. God sent people. He sent prophets, Elijah and Elisha, to warn Israel. And they didn't take it. They didn't take the advice. They didn't, they didn't take it at all. They rejected it. And so the Assyrians begin to overtake their capital of Samaria. And they're like, listen, you pay us and we won't conquer you. Well, they refused to pay these tribute payments, and they were, they, I mean, they were laid siege, and they were taken into exile. But as we read through the details, each discipline was patiently administered by God. He gave his people chances to repent and turn it around with discipline, and they chose to reject it. And guys, we know this to be true as parents and bosses and those with authority like teachers and coaches, we know this to be true. Impatience is vital to discipline. Like, think about it. Like, it's important for us to understand the root causes. Like, we don't have the knowledge that God has. We have very limited knowledge. He's all-knowing. We're not. And so it's really important for us to take the time to assess the situation, consider the context, and identify the root causes of the behavior. You got to get the full story, right? We're not making knee-jerk reactions. God, however, is different than us. He's perfect. He's holy. He allowed people to do it on their own. He's like, all right, you want to do it? You think you know better? 
All right. You want independence? Have at it. We also know that it's important that we maintain emotional control. Discipline ought to be administered with a calm and composed demeanor. Patience helps the disciplinarian maintain emotional control, avoiding impulsive reactions that may escalate the situation. Man, I, there's times I've had to apologize to Brooke, man. She mouthed off to, uh, to Jenny, and man, I like popped her in her, in her in her backside, like in her bottom. Like I had to go to her. I'm like, baby, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to like just quickly react. God showed restraint in previous situations. He showed a lot of restraint. How about communicating effectively? Patience is crucial in communicating the expectations and the reasons behind the discipline. Taking the time to communicate clearly and calmly to help ensure that the, you know, our kid or whoever is getting disciplined, that they understand the purpose and the potential consequences of their actions. God clearly provided opportunities for his people to repent with providing prophets with messages directly from him. And then finally, there's building trust. Patience contributes to building trust between the person giving the discipline and those receiving the discipline. Truth and trust is essential for a healthy relationship. God desires us to trust him because of his sovereignty and his faithfulness to honor his promises. When God was about to do something for Habakkuk and the people, something unexpected, something shocking, and maybe more than what Habakkuk was praying. And thinking back to last week, whether we recognize or we fail to recognize it, God is at work behind the scenes to straighten out the mess of his people. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to, sweep, uh, to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour they all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. And notice this. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Habakkuk is thinking, God, are you serious? You're using the same people you pulled Abraham out of? The same people who defeated the Assyrians? These violent, with no regard for you, evil people? You're using them? Like, look, I get it that we're, we've done some evil things as a kingdom. But God, like, we're a JV compared to them. The Babylonians, they're more evil. They're superior. They're faster than anything we could ever imagine. They're a law to themselves, and you're using them? Like, we have no hope in stopping them. Like, we can't even get our own stuff together. We can't stop them. This news, man, it was hard for Habakkuk to swallow. It led to more questions. Why this form of discipline? Like we're, not as, we're not that bad to be receiving this type of discipline, are we? 
Like, why not just send us back to the wilderness for another 40 years? Like, at least there we get manna every day. We get some quail nuggies. Like, God, obviously you provide for us. And at times, we may find ourselves in the same situation as a backup. God has allowed us to do it on our own way. And then it's led to his way. Or maybe it wasn't even our decision. Maybe it's because we live in a community. We live in a nation. We live, or, or someone other, some other person's decision affected us. Maybe like a spouse. Maybe a parent. And we're like, it just doesn't seem right. See, the tension of facing discipline is that it's the consequence of choosing our will over God's will. Lord, remember that's his covenant name. Are you not everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Like, I get it. I, I, I get it. Your, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? They're worse off than we are. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And so Habakkuk is in this dilemma. On one hand, he believes. I mean, he is confident in God. He's confident in God's nature and his promise. He understands that God is holy and that he will not allow sin to go unpunished. Like he gets it. But on the other hand, he's confused about how God's going about it. He's confused on his method of punishing. He's like, okay, so I don't understand. Why are you using the Babylonians? I mean, they're, they're evil, evil people. Because you're playing God to, to wipe us out when you promised you wouldn't. Like you have made people like fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The, the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet and he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. God, is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? What he's saying is, man, these Babylonians, man, they're like fishermen, man. It's like an honest. It's like the unspecting net, man, just scoops people up. They destroy people. So God, will you ever make the Babylonians pay for destroying the nations and destroying our nation? That's interesting that God's conversation with Habakkuk is different than his conversation with Jeremiah, and they both served at the same time. It's interesting that God tells Jeremiah that the discipline is going to last about 70 years. They're going to be in exile for 70 years. And that the Babylonians will one day be defeated. Even though Habakkuk and Jeremiah are contemporaries, God gave them different perspectives to the same question. And I want you to miss this. This is so important, guys. This is why it's important to be in church. This is why it's important to be in group. Because you can ask God the same question as someone else asking, they can be provided a different answer that can actually inspire you, that can encourage you, that can help maybe shift your mind. 
We're going to pick up God's response to back this question next week. So here's our takeaway this morning. Discipline is preparing you and I for maturity and preventing you and I from inability. Discipline is preparing you for maturity and preventing you from inability. What discipline is, it's exchanging a short-term negative for a long-term positive. It's a conscious decision to exchange a short-term negative like discomfort, pain, sweating, right, for a long-term positive outcome. It's the commitment to endure hardships that aren't going to last a little bit to achieve lasting benefits, growth, fulfillment. So think of it two ways. Think of it first like this, that discipline is preparing you for spiritual maturity and growth. Right? We've been created to live in a deep dependence of God. Discipline is like the rigorous training regimen of an athlete, right? preparing for a competition. That athlete has a strict schedule of workouts, has a balanced diet, and gets some rest. They understand that that discipline approach is an investment in their future success. They understand that without discipline, they will have an inability to perform in that competition. They will not have the necessary ability, endurance, conditioning to win. They know that it takes commitment, devotion, and dedication. Think of it next as preventing you from spiritual inability. Maybe uh, struggling to pray, read the Bible, fast, um, engage with the local church. See, discipline is a lot like the careful, intentional cultivation of a garden. Now, how many of us have, have had a garden? That's the key word, had. Because it's really difficult to maintain. The hardest thing about maintaining a garden is the weed control. It's preventing weeds from coming. And when weeds are not there, Plants grow, but when weeds are there and they're overgrown, what do they do? They hinder the plant's growth. The plant is not able to thrive. And through discipline cure, the, the gardener knows, the farmer knows that they have, they have to guard against the weeds. Guys, you and I are, there's a war for your soul. And there's an enemy that you and I cannot see. And he wants us to lose. He does, he does not want for us what God wants for us. And for some of us, we need to hear this. And I heard this from one pastor. He said, I'll never become what I occasionally do. And that's true for all of us. You and I will never become what we occasionally do. Discipline is required in our lives, period. We need it. We're better for it. Discipline. If we're experiencing it, proves that we belong to God. Like if it's for correction, it means that we belong to God. Our Heavenly Father loves you and I, and He wants more for you and I than we could ever want for ourselves. And in order to get our attention, He will discipline us. He will correct us to get us to be more disciplined. Habakkuk would have been very familiar with what King Solomon wrote. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent His rebuke because... The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son, he delights in. So two things to think about. How has discipline shaped your life as a follower of Jesus? And number two, what is one short-term negative you can exchange for a long-term positive in your relationship with God? Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're incredibly thankful for discipline. 
for correction. And, and that might seem like an odd thing to say, but we're very thankful for that because it shows that we belong to you. That you are committed to us. You're committed to our growth. That we become more like your son, Jesus. Father, I ask that for those in the room who are still investigating, or maybe they have a lot of excuses why they don't want to follow, I ask that their heart would be softened. They would recognize and see that Jesus did what they could not do. He lived the life they could not live. He died the death they should have died. And then through his resurrection, you, you exchange our spiritual death for spiritual life. And so, Father, I ask that people make a decision to follow you. For those in the room who are followers of Jesus, I ask that we would look at the mirror of your word. We are putting ourselves in front of your mirror. I ask that we would be focused on our own discipline, reading, praying, fasting, engaging in the local church. Father, help us. Help us become who you destined us to be, which is your son, Jesus. Father, help us to take this message and apply it to our lives this week. In Jesus' name. Thank you.